Welcome to Talk to Me with Liv Harrison, the stories behind their success. The high school I went to in Houston really could have been known as a performing arts school. So many talented, like crazy talented people came out of this high school. In fact, when I talk about it, often either A, people don't believe me, or B, people are like, oh, so you went to a performing arts school. And I'm like, nope, nope, just a normal public school with just ridiculously talented people. A lot of them have gone on to become very famous. Many of them have already agreed to being guests on this podcast because they are truly inspiring and have some amazing stories to tell. What's fun is we are really close, like my high school, like all the kids, not every single kid I know, I get it, but the vast majority of us were very close in school and have continued to stay that way. We grew up together, we all liked each other, and a lot of us are cheering each other on, which is really beautiful. What was great was we didn't really care about the ages we all were, or the grades we were all in. I actually was supposed to be in the grade below me because I had started school in Louisiana and I went to kindergarten at four. Not because I was a genius. (laughs) 100% because of when my birthday fell and that year you were allowed to go to school If you were that young, I don't know what else to say. My birthday is October 1st, and the cutoff was December 1st. So I made it. The grade below me in high school, I really clicked with. And I don't think it's because we were so close in age. It's not like it was that close. But we really did. We got along. And I had a cousin who was in that grade, and he and I are only nine months apart. And growing up, we were actually super close. I'm the godmother to his oldest child, and he has five kids. And he's one of 11. So that's how close we were. He played football. He played in the marching band. Now, that was funny. He would be in his uniform, his football uniform, and then marching with the band and then going out and kicking behind. He went on to play for Notre Dame. Crazy, successful, incredible guy. And we shared a lot of the same friends, especially the same guy friends. My guy friends from junior high became his best friends in high school. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we had so much fun. These guys were amazing. We would end up at people's houses singing till, I don't know, three in the morning. We would play sports, basketball. Okay, I would watch. Let's be really honest. (laughs) I I, I had no purpose but to like cheer them on. But one thing they would do is this group of guys would make films in my backyard. Out of all of us, I was the only one with a pool. So these guys would call me and be like, hey, Liv, can we come over and make movies in your backyard? And I was like, yes, of course. So they would. They would come over and make film at my house, which I am dying to see because one of these guys is actually crazy famous now. And we're friends, and he is one of my favorites. But this particular day that I'm thinking of was hilarious. They were, I think, making a film like an homage to Jaws. (laughs) I don't know. I wasn't allowed to watch Jaws. But they had the brilliant idea 
to, and I just want to pause and say, these guys all did go on to college. So even though this wasn't their brightest moment, this is not how they got into school. <laughs> they took a piece of construction paper, not cardboard, not wood, actual construction paper, and made a fin out of it. Like they cut, you know, like a shark fin. You know what I mean? Like that triangle situation. <laughs> one of them jumped in and the other one jumped in and one guy was filming. I don't know what all the guys were doing, but two were in the pool. One was being chased by the guy holding the shark fin. Here's what I want you to do really quickly. I want you to close your eyes and imagine these 16 year old guys making a film, which this meant you had to use like actual cameras, you guys with like tapes, you know, like who remembers this? But think about what a piece of construction paper is going to do in a pool of water, as in like an actual sim like swimming pool of water. <laughs> they didn't think it through. This was the worst idea. <laughs> Talk about a non-scary shark. The fin flopped. It was, <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> so not scary. Oh my gosh. When I say we laughed, we laughed so hard. And to be really honest, I can't even remember how that whole thing ended up. I'm sure they figured it out. I'm sure the film was a tremendous success. <laughs> but what's great is a couple of these guys went on into acting. They actually were really big into theater at our school. I was really into it in junior high and with this group of guys. And they continued on and they've continued their acting careers, which is really cool. My guest today does voiceover work. He's an MC, especially for Southwest Airlines. I get to see him like it seems like once a year. He does all sorts of community theater and acting. He's had national commercials. And he also which I think is really beautiful, is a pastor at his church. He has a gorgeous wife. They're both authors. They have beautiful sons. And he just happens to be one of my favorite people in the world and always has been. Well, hello, Marcus. How are you, friend? What's happening, Liv? Good to see you, girl. Good to see you. Looking good, girl. Looking good. Glad to be here. No, I'm thinking, like, you look incredible, and I'm so sad. I'm so sad that it's been a year since I've actually seen you That's true. in real life. That's right. And I'm grateful, because before that, it had been I, 30 thousand years i don't know it was like yes. forever i'm not yeah, good at like math 20 or i don't know like 15 oh yeah, long, marcus but again we have a friendship that it doesn't matter how long it's like you jump back in and it's like you you're back where you were you know what i mean Obviously, right there we're a little older uh and better but uh we're still back where we were. amen <laughs> amen that we're better <laughs> i don't know if we would still be friends with our teenage selves but <laughs> i don't know I, I i don't i don't i don't think you've changed that much honestly <laughs> uh and, and i say I that, that with, with much love like i don't think you had a lot of growing up to do uh you know what i mean so i, I think some people just you know hit it early and and you make friends because of the way they are and uh, and you can keep being friends because because they consistently are the same person as they grow up. And I think that's 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 you, for sure. For oh, sure. Marcus, you are so kind. Thank you. Well, I would say the same, except you have gone on to do 
incredible things with your life and watching what I love about social media is that I've gotten to watch it. Like I, I am best friends with your wife. She doesn't know this. <laughs> Neither do you, <laughs> your children. I, uh, I think I have a birthday party for them every year nice. and eat cake in their honor. <laughs> Uh, it's just it's been fantastic to watch all the things so let's pick up where we left off we were great friends in junior high and high school and then we went on with life where did you go (laughs) what (laughs) happened to you where you're like start with day one no but where did you go what did you do in school what did you get tell me a little bit about that yeah well man after i left high school went on to uh Texas Christian University. That's what we called it back then. It's just TCU now. They decided Christian <laughs> Christian should be taken out of the name. So don't even. We don't want anyone to know. <laughs> don't want to say that, and for good reason. I was there. So uh, yeah, I went to TCU, uh, and you know, I started out as like a music major. Went out there to do vocal performance, and then I remember uh, got, that you know, and got kind of scooped up by the theater and uh, TV department, and they created this whole weird major for me that had kind of. Uh, music theater and television kind of all wrapped into one thing and so did that and uh you know god was good i started working professionally when i had to I, you know tcu is not cheap the private schools are not cheap and the brother had to, <laughs> brother had to find a way they to like their for money it. yeah they they, 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 t- they like their money you know so i had to find a way to pay for it so i was doing you know working at like jay riggins and doing professional shows you know what i mean right out of the gate like at 19. Uh, and yeah, I started working professionally and, and the, in the entertainment world and uh, thought I was going to kind of go to to not get married, go to L.A., become this <laughs> you know super famous person. I was going to be the next Oprah, but the male version. And, yes. uh, you know. Oh, you would have been a good male Oprah. I would have. Uh, it's OK. It's OK. <laughs> it's OK. It's still, look, I still got time. I, I feel like I can still do it if I, <laughs> That's if, right. I if I need to. It's time. But did but but I ran into uh, an amazing uh, young lady doing the show Guys and Dolls at Dallas at the Dallas Theater Center, uh, and God was like, "Look, you're not gonna get this chance again." So snatched it up, and we got married, and then we were both in the entertainment world. So we we went to Los Angeles and uh, started hitting it out there and starting to make some good, you know, you know, runs, you know, and and kind of the career. But then we kind of looked around at all of our friends who were kind of making it. And we start trying to decide, you know, is is this what God wants us to do? Is this the life that God is moving us toward? And uh, quickly became to understand that, uh, no, nah, uh, we wanted something else. So um, ended up through a couple of different things, moving back to Dallas to, you know, kind of get into ministry. And my wife got a job at a church um, as a creative pre- uh, producer for uh, children's production that they did weekly. Uh, I came back, worked in in Dallas for a little bit to try to make some money so I could try to go to, to seminary. Uh, and then I got picked up by a church. Uh, we both moved to that church. Then we got picked up by another church and then I got picked <laughs> up by another church. And, and now I'm here like, you know, uh, working at a church as a director of external focus, which is basically an outreach pastor. Um, my wife is a writer and a speaker and a, a fitness instructor, a property manager. She's got a million things. And I get to lead an organization around racial reconciliation and justice and uh, organize, um, you know, food pantry coalitions and all kinds of different things and, and still get to do a lot of my acting and work on the side. So, 
yeah, that's that's kind of what happened to me. And now, and then, and then I get the best kind of call uh, from you that uh, to be on your show. So that's that's really the pinnacle <laughs> of all my days over it. the last twenty You're years. You're hitting the height. This is, this is I peak. <laughs> this is my peak today. I need to write it down. I'll be recording this. We'll keep that. I am. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely, I am. So when you get your award, um, <laughs> you're so I love it. I tell you what, the greatest thing is that when we were in school together, you made me laugh then and you make me laugh now. And I love that you haven't lost that at all. I love the part of your story where you were making decisions. I think that that's a lot of things that maybe our teenage selves. I don't know. I'll talk about myself. <laughs> Maybe, and I'm saying it to myself now, my obvious 22-year-old self, because that's obviously what I am. I, I don't, You're I doing better than me. Like, I, I, I'm still 18. <laughs> like, you got to 22. You, like, I'm it's old, true. Man. No, I'm girls old. mature faster. I just, it's the way it is. So. I'm a good moisturizer. The thing is, is that I love that you, at such a young age, which I want to ask you how old you were when you did make that decision in LA with your beautiful wife, which I don't blame you for being smitten with her. <laughs> Um, is that you had more of a choice and a say in where your life was going than maybe, you know, when you're that young and you think, oh, I, I'm just floating along. I'm just in the ocean and, you know, out doing all the things. How old were you when you made that decision? And, and do you remember getting that, that concept of, wait a second, hold on, we're adults. We can make some choices here. We have a little bit of ownership. Yeah, you know, it's such a it's it's a strange deal, right? Cuz you're when you you know, and I still do it today. Like I still wake up and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I can I can make my own decisions." It still feels weird uh, <laughs> yeah. to do, but I remember, you know, being out in LA. I mean, it was it was it was although we were we were starting to do well, it was tough sledding. I mean, we were, you know, working. I was like I was working three jobs, my wife was working uh, two and and I remember I'd wake up in the morning and, and just be so thrilled uh, to see her laying there cuz it made me just realize that you had a partner in the midst of it right um but as we again started kind of living our life and thinking about how we were maneuvering and some of the roles that were coming in front of us when you're living in the la life there's so much fakeness there right there's so much falseness like it, you you couldn't trust who your friends were right our best friends actually were people who were not involved in the industry that's kind of what you said there like if you're in the industry and even then, we couldn't fully trust because we couldn't understand why you would live in LA and not be in the industry. It's like the most expensive place. <laughs> what are in the you world. doing? So, what are you doing? So we love them dearly. There but are other I just jobs. Thought, maybe they they may have mental illness that we don't know about. Why are they Why are they here? Right. So why but, would you choose it, to be here? Yeah, but we love them because we never questioned whether you know they were spending time with us to get to our connections or. Uh, you know, or whether we had to feel like we needed to be, spend time with them because we needed their connections. And so uh, that and then just, I guess, the the entitlement uh, of everything. Uh, again, L.A. Oh, was very encapsulated. People felt entitled to, to everything and, um, and, and, and were passionate about nothing. Oh, that's interesting. Entitled to everything, but passionate about nothing. Yeah, that yeah, you? yeah. Wow. And, if, and if the passion came, it was kind of how did it benefit them? and move their career along. And that's a lot of places and it's a lot of the way we work even in America right now. Um, the realization to me too was, I knew that whenever I stepped in an audition room, that there could be potentially obstacles from me getting the role in that there were things that I was not going to do. Uh, there were roles I was not oh, going to take, there were things in the role right. I was not going to do. Like I just didn't want that. And, and I knew that there were 
marry a myriad of other actors out there that when they walked into the room, there were no holds barred, right? Like they would do whatever. They do it all. They do yeah. it all. It, it wouldn't matter. And, uh, and so, right. you know, you felt a, a, an extreme disadvantage in some ways and, uh, a, and, and again, a sadness that, uh, that that was there. So those are some things. And again, in my younger self, I probably would have, you know, thought through it even a little bit differently in some ways, but, um, but I really did feel, you know, as we were kind of praying, I think we spent some time, we usually, when we make big decisions, we spend some time fasting. And so I think in the midst of the fasting, we just heard God saying we, that he desired us to be creative and use our gifts, but to use them in a way that we're going to further his kingdom, further the church and those kinds of things. And that's, that's kind of what vaulted us in some ways, even back to, to Dallas and even into the ministry world is uh, is through the creative realm, and it's it was the the pathway that that led us into ministry. I don't think I would have got if it wasn't for utilizing my creative gifts when I got into ministry. Uh, if you had told me when I was sitting in LA, like, hey, uh, you're going to be an outreach pastor and be getting a <laughs> master's degree in intercultural studies, it'd be like, who? That's that's that <laughs> other character. That must be my yeah. my other. Is that is that what I'm someplace. auditioning for? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know who that is. Is that a movie I'm doing? Right? Like, so sure, I'm uh, in. Yeah, I'm in. That sounds great. Just give me the script because I don't know how many time to work into this character because he's nothing like me. Right? Wow. So, yeah. So I don't incredible. Know, no, I love that. So let me ask you: When you met your wife, her name is Lisa. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Okay. So. When you met You're the Lisa, one stalking I mean, her. You know her. I mean, name. I was like, trying. I was trying to act cool. <laughs> I want to be not professional. Like, I, yeah, like it's not in neon letters. You know her middle name me. too. Like, just give me a come on. Like, just do the whole thing. Thanks, Marcus. For now. <laughs> totally call me out. It's just like school. <laughs> so anyway, Thanks. back to Lisa. Is it? <laughs> back to Lisa. <laughs> Um, (laughs) thank you i was in theater as well um so back to to lisa when you met her was her faith just as strong as yours was your faith super strong where were you guys at individually when you were brought together as a couple was that something that you just started off with you were like oh my gosh she's hot and brilliant and amazing and talented and a super christian or was that something that had to develop what did that look like? That's actually the pinnacle piece of the entire story. Yes, it did start it out. She's hot. She's brilliant. And she's talented. <laughs> I mean, all that, you know, that's what you get when you first start, right? Like I remember sitting sure. in the, the rehearsal hall when we're all kind of meeting each other. And we had to do this weird thing where everybody kind of had to get up in the middle of this the circle and kind of introduce yourself and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and she gets up and, you know, she's obviously gorgeous and wonderful. Uh, but she's very much like the sorority girl type, you know, and you're just yeah. like, she's, she's staring at me right now. Like, what is this story you're telling? <laughs> <laughs> it's the one I tell all the time, babe. It's the same one. Uh, <laughs> sorority type girl. I thought, oh, she's one of those kind of girls, right? And and honestly, you know, in that part of, part of my life, she was white, right? So it, it although you can kind of look, it wasn't a, I had kind of moved past that in some ways. I was I was digging a little deep, you know, blackness at that point. And, actually coming out of that a little bit and kind of getting into the space. And so I'm seeing her as this, not only a sorority girl and beautiful, but she's white. So there's a sense of she, she's not for me in some ways. You paused, um, you paused, paused because of her. Yeah. Color. Yeah. Because you were like, is this, is this worth it? <laughs> you know, cause it's worth yeah, it. Right. That's a lot. The pinnacle of the story though is, you know, we started to get to know one another. She was not 
she was not really dealing with with this brother for a little bit, uh, just because she she was very much had these standards of standoff. She wanted a really good Christian man, that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and she's in a theater, which so that's hard to find. And so I'm kind of <laughs> that's hard to, to come her, right? by, just, you know. <laughs> yeah. So and uh, so she's kind of like I don't know, I don't know. And somehow I think she I can't remember this piece. I got to figure this out, but I think her roommate knew somebody who knew me in high school. And so when she mentioned my name, she's like, oh, I've heard of that guy uh, because of blah, 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 blah in high school, right? And right, so right. she was like, what? And so she got this sense that I was, you know, this Christian guy. And then kind of see how I was maneuvering, I guess, through the, this is her story. This is maneuvering kind of through rehearsal. It was a long rehearsal period. It was like 10, 12 weeks or something. So we had time. And then, uh, so we started talking and hanging out a little bit. And then um, we had a friend that was in the show, a friend of mine from TCU. And uh, she's she was married, and uh, but she was in the show, and we were she was going to TCU with me. But she was in a dressing room with Lisa, and so I would go in there periodically to talk to my friend. Uh, her name was Anne, and so I talked to her. Lisa would be in there sometimes, but I remember one time coming in there, Lisa was not in there. I was talking to Anne. I looked over on Lisa's dressing table, and she had her Bible like like open. Her Bible had been opened up, and it was like like see how this is all worn out. Like yeah, yeah. It was like, highlighted and all these kinds of things it was very it loved more, it was a it was loved, loved bible it was a loved, loved. Bible. <laughs> and, uh, and look um i tell people all the time because she's you know she's uh, exceptionally beautiful so uh, well of course you were interested she's exceptionally beautiful but you know, it's hard for people to understand in the entertainment world you run into beautiful women all the time at least by the you know that's society shocking standards, right like <laughs> shocking. Right. really what uh, but it's, hot people but, are in the entertainment yeah, world so weird right <laughs> i'm gonna write that but, down <laughs> yeah so yeah, you know right. we're surrounded by them all the time right so, uh, dime a dozen uh, yeah although she's beautiful it was it was that 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 showed that there was something more uh, and something exceptionally beautiful and i remember telling my friend Anne, i was like oh my gosh Lisa was kind of dating somebody at the time. I said, if this girl breaks up with that dude, you need to let a brother know, right? Let know. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, so it was very much her, her love of Jesus that kind of drew me to her. Uh, wow. Her, seriously. Yeah. That's amazing. So did you guys um, start off praying as a couple? Is that something that you were already comfortable doing? Yeah. That wasn't yeah. something that was weird or foreign to like figure out? Because I know a lot of couples... They don't pray together, sure. even if they are faithful and they find that. But I know that that's something that you two share. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that was a little rare in L.A. Hey, guys, we got to go pray. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, definitely like sitting at restaurants and, you know, bowing your head in L.A. And, right. Uh, yeah, it's, it, look, it's it. here's what I would say is praying was a practice that both of us had. So coming together, it just there was no issue because we were, we were just like ex- extending our own practice into our own relationship. So whether it was, you know, praying when times were, I'll do it this way, whether it was praying at meals, which I think is, is very simple for a lot of people to do. We, we were doing that ourselves. And so it only makes sense to do it together. Whether it was praying uh, before we went to bed at night, uh, that was easy because we were doing that ourselves. And so we can do it together. Um, the thing that we continue to work on is praying in the midst of, good and bad times, right? Um, and those extra places where we would pray alone, but it wasn't like a rhythm. Um, those are the things that we have to continue to, to work on. And so when times are tough, it's really easy for us to stop and to pray. Sometimes it's easier for one of us than the other. Uh, and we kind of we kind sure. of lift one another up, de- depending. And right. then at night now with our boys, because again, we begin the practice of going to God, you know, 
all kinds of different things. We'll pray with them at, at night before. That's a, a family kind of tradition ritual that we do every night. Uh, and then, you know, uh, she's really great about in, inspiring them to pray for like little things, um, you know, different stuff that, that I always get on her. I'm like, gosh, this feels so stupid to pray about, babe. She's really great at pushing me. She, she'll pray for parking spaces, right? Like she's praying for parking spaces and she gets them. And, and I tell her, I, I said, look, I said, um, now she's, she's super fit, right? She's a fitness instructor. So she doesn't need to park far away. And so God gives her close parking spots with me. I pray for a parking spot and God is like, you're, you're going to be in the back, bro. Cause this may be the only exercise you do today. So this is for your own good. So God answers. He knows you. Away. He cares. He cares. He knows. Right. So, but just little things, you know, so if the boys lose something that she's like, I'm, they're like, I'm looking for something. I've lost something. Have you prayed about it? Right. So yeah, it's been definitely something that's been a part of our life and something we've, we've also had to grow in as well. Sure. Of course. So, okay. What you're doing today though is yeah. really interesting and you're finding yourself having some pretty intense conversations and this isn't necessarily what I was going to talk to you about, but I don't understand how to have conversations at this point without talking about race yeah, and what's sure. going on in this country. And I think it's really amazing to step into that space, especially with people that you trust and that you know are on the same side and wanting the same things yeah. and discuss those things. What I would love is for you to educate me on what is it that you do in Dallas? What is it that you're doing that's making a difference? Because I see you having these incredible conversations about race and doing these things for your community and for me, like all the community that's watching you on social media. So what is that, Marcus? How did you get into this space? And what are you doing? If you don't mind explaining it to me. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, I think, <laughs> I love that you said making a difference. I hope a difference. I don't know. You are. Uh, but, you are. But we, uh, about, you know, about, I guess it's almost six years ago once, um, um, the Michael Brown shootings happened. Um, a couple of church leaders kind of contacted me. And they wanted to talk about the situation they were and uh, wanted to try to understand. And so we sat down and we chatted to each other's perspective. And it really led to um, a, a monthly like gathering of several um, pastors and leaders uh, in the community that were of all different nationalities and races, if you will. Um, to have discussions and we worked through a book uh, together and started doing that and as that grew it it grew into almost like a, a new tribe of folks a new group of people that kind of stayed and did it regularly and then in 2016 when we had the Dallas shootings here of the police officers um, we decided it was time to to bring the camaraderie that we had experienced and the love that we experienced to the public so that they had tried to experience it themselves and so we started an organization called threaded and the mission is to inspire relationships reconciliation and collaborative action among the diverse body of Christ. And so what we found is, or what we talk about is, there are issues in race uh, that are going on. We believe that the gospel has the answer to that, but part of what we were seeing as the problem is that the church wasn't living into uh, its opportunities to show what a truly uh, reconciled uh, world looks like. Uh, we have the vision of what that looks like. God has shown us that, that that's part of his work, uh, but the church has been culpable and complicit in much of the racism that we see. And, uh, and has very little relevance to be able to talk about it because we still live in segregated homes and segregated communities as the body of Christ. Um, and so we, we just started with that, just trying to help um, with, we do you know, lots of panel discussions, we created a curriculum for small groups. Um, you know, we, we speak out against the things that we feel are, are 
injustice that are going on. Um, we try to uh, build relationships amongst the churches and do collaborative action in the community uh, around those who are experiencing systemic oppression. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the gist of it. Um, and, and that's led me into all kinds of learning and conversations. And of course, when you start talking about these things, um, you know, the division and the spirit uh, and the evil spirit that's, that's underneath all of that division rears its ugly head uh, over and over again. And so what that's actually forced me into as a place is to learn how to have conversations in a way um, that I'm hoping are transformative uh, instead of uh, divisive. So uh, there's a great author and leader right now called Ibram X. Kendi that has a book he recently wrote called uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And uh, in the book, he talks about the difference between protest and demonstration um, and, and the idea of protest and, and really radical, uh, radical uh, being radical is really what he's talking about. But you can say, people say radical things, what they think are radical when they're kind of speaking up and saying, you're this, you're terrible this, you're an idiot, whatever. And they think they're being radical for, for injustice. They're trying to speak out radically against it. But one of the things he comments and says, what, what, would it, what would it look like if we thought of radical conversations as different, right? Like what if the radical thing was that you can say things in such a way as to transform those people who are maybe on the line to transform their mind in such a way that they come to your side? What if that was the radical thing? Uh, and so that's where, you know, me and my team have really been trying to work to see how we can, you know, you see me on social media, how we can deal with, you know, in some ways, uh, the ignorant, uh, haters, uh, the uninformed, such a way that loves them and hopefully um, says it in such a way that doesn't push them back to the narrative that they, that has been that the divisive narrative them away, but pushes them into more of a, a, of a unity narrative that we have. So I hope that explains some of it anyway. Oh, are you kidding? I'm like, <laughs> I think I just ordered everything you just said. I'm like, I'm like um, I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> just start a part, small group. Well, and look, and that's part of it too. Like there's there's education there, right? Like part of it, yeah, like, there you is. Know, when, you, when you watch all the things that are happening, uh, particularly when I'm watching people on social media interact, I'm, I think I'm just continually reminded of the lack of education that people have around this issue. Uh, it's incredible. And the, and the lack of a, of a common history around this issue. And so people are reacting and saying things in some ways in opposition to some of the things I'm saying. Um, and they don't know that they say those things. They are actually, and I'm going to actually post this later uh, in my thread later. They're actually high-fiving people in history that they would be appalled to support. Um, the, the, verbiage, the, the verbiage and the cliches that they're using, you can go back in different parts of history and you can find people on opposite sides of the narrative and the people that are saying the very same things that, that these folks are saying to me are the ones who are, you know, who are proponents to keep slavery going and the ones to keep uh, segregation. And, and they're mouthing those same words and they don't even know it because they, they have they no don't know. history. Uh, and, I, and I feel for them. Like, I, I don't want them to wake up uh, in 10 years and look at themselves and go, what was I thinking? I don't want them to be the one that their kids 20 years from now can go, did you say this? Was this what you were about when this was all going on? I don't want that for them because we do that now with Americans in the history. We go, I can't believe they were supporting that. Uh, and at the same time, we're doing the same thing right now. So I, I, I that's want a really good to, point. Yeah. I don't want people to have to wake up like that. And obviously I want change. I think when we yeah. all get a common history, um, we can make changes that keep the history from happening again. 
And unfortunately, no, so we're, we're seeing all that yeah. happen again right now. We are because um, I don't I don't know when people are listening, but George yeah. Floyd was just murdered. Um, and so we're dealing with that as a country. And it has been, as you and I were talking about earlier, it's been interesting to see who's speaking and who isn't speaking right. and what people are saying and where people are hiding or what people are, how people are reacting. So, you know, and here's the thing, Marcus, and I love, and I hope this really was Will Smith who said that because it's getting to a point where you don't know what's happening on the internet, but there's a great, great quote right now that is floating around with Will Smith's name. And it says, Something like, oh, great. Now I'm going to misquote it. But it's so, it's very simple. But it's something like racism isn't new or racism isn't just happening. It's just getting filmed. Yeah. It's something yeah. along those lines. This isn't new. When you and I were in school together, racism wasn't new. I'm right. going to go out on a limb because we grew up in a very entitled, very um, <laughs> white area. Yeah. Some of us still live here. Our school, you, <laughs> I feel like, and I'm going to ask you this, and I hope this is not offensive, no. but in a lot of teenage films, there's one, especially, you know, all those great teenage movies that come out, and then they did one that was like making fun of the teenage movies, you know, and it's sure. like a spoof. Yeah, and yeah. the one guy comes out and he goes, hey, everybody, I'm the token black guy, you know, and like yeah. that was his line in the film. And I have to be honest, I thought of you, Marcus, because sure. I thought of you and and saying like, Wow. And not just you, but there was not a very large black community in our school. Um, I was always hanging out because I thought that we were all best friends. And I think I was getting made fun of actually more than anything. I think they were like pat, pat, pat on the head. <laughs> White girl. I think that I really do. I think I was like, oh, Liv, she's so ridiculous. But anyway, um, how <laughs> how did that happen for you to transition from where you grew up with us in this community that, let's be really honest, I think is super blind and really unaware. Um, when you grow up with privilege and not just in a white privilege way, but in a in a wealthy way like this, this area of town. And I'm going to go with Dallas isn't quite, you know, known for not being well off. Dallas yeah, is pretty well known yeah, for well, having, sure. yeah. you know, so you're having these same concepts, right, of where you grew up. Now that you're doing this work that you're doing, Marcus, coming from where you came from, do you see a change? I want to know in yourself more of where you came from here in Houston to where you are in Dallas and the work that you're doing. Where did you see your growth as a black man to step into the conversations that you're having that maybe you didn't have when you were a teen, you know, and we were all yeah. just being silly and dumb and had no clue? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question, um, and it's one that I ponder quite a bit. You know, when you when you're in this work, it's such uh, difficult work. You get so much hate coming at you, and it's exhausting. And so you have to figure out, like, why am I doing this, right? Like, what's what's keeping me moving forward? And I think it's it's really my upbringing and my experience that actually puts me in a very strategic position to actually do this work. Uh, and I've had mentors that kind of keep me thinking about that, right? Like I did grow up in places where, where whiteness was king and had to exist in such a way that people could, um, that people could see me as, as one of their tribe and, and even um, erase my blackness enough that they could say the, the horrific racist thing uh, that they had been thinking. And, and then I could jump on that to help them see what, what they just said, right? 
um, I think, you know, growing up and where we grew up, you know, I struggled back between the identity of, of my, my culture and the identity of my class. And I remember, that's interesting. you know, yeah. my, my in, the pinnacle point, I think, in my life was when my dad kind of watching this, you know, I would, when I was with my black friends, I would jet, dress and speak a certain way, white friends dress and speak a certain way, definitely code switching back and forth, uh, but not in the kind of way in which I knew that I was code switching or intentionally doing it, but, um, but it was happening just naturally. He said, Marcus, he said, that's, that's, you're going to get exhausted, exhausted. He said, mm. you know, you, you have to not, you're, he said, you're never, your, your culture is never, is always going to let you down. And your class system is always going to let you down. Your, he said, your family is going to let you down. He said, but the only thing that will not let you down is Jesus Christ. He's not going to let you. Down. Amen. Yeah. So if you center yourself, if you center your identity on Jesus Christ, then you will always have a solid ground to stand upon. And what that meant for me is that it meant I could kind of do whatever Marcus wanted to do. <laughs> I didn't have to, I didn't have to live into what the expectations were of class or my culture, but Marcus, right? And so uh, in the midst of that, you know, think little things like swimming, right? Like black people don't swim. That was the stereotype. Uh, but but Marcus liked to swim. Uh, and because you I swam, in my I pool, mean, actually. I went yeah, swimming in the pool. Swim. And look, and, yeah. you know, I had, uh, I had a couple of pool records around the, the, the uh, flying area for a long time uh, as a black male, right? Um, That's cool. So, I had no idea. You know, and, and then going through the high school with you guys, you know, there's a part of it that you do to survive. But I understood how to do sure. that. Um, I, I wasn't as awake as I am now, if you will, to use that word. Um, I saw it and I experienced it, but I didn't know how to articulate it. And I felt things mm -hmm. about it. Like, you know, I had a coach once say to me in a locker room, you're a credit to your race. Right. I had uh, a, a girl today who was white, whose parents, she's at my church, whose parents said they would disown her. Right. If they if she dated me. Right. Like I. I, you probably don't even remember this, but you know I was the first uh, African American student uh, uh, or senior class president uh, at the at the school, and and yet and I was the first president to not get to speak at graduation. Um, so <gasps> because wait, do you think that's because you're African American? Yeah, absolutely. And for a while, I, I kid myself about Are it. Are you serious? Well, here's what happened, Liv. Like, and again, this is one of those things that people I had know. no idea about. Yeah, that. you had wow. been you had already been gone. We that, I graduated. Yeah, everybody knew that 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 the president speaks. Yeah, always. That's what they do. In fact, our, yeah. our sponsor said it. That's part of when you took the job, everything. Hey, are you okay speaking speaking in front of people? This is going to be your job. <laughs> You're uh, like, give me the mic. <laughs> yeah, right? So but getting, yeah. getting closer to graduation, all of a sudden, the principal calls all the officers into her office. And uh, she says, hey, we're not going to, it's not going to be, you know, that the president just gets to speak. Now we're going to draw for it. And so what she does is she takes some of us into her office first, and she has a hat that has names or has the little thing that has says, you know, speak at graduation, whatever. And so I go in in the first group, and we pull out name, pull out things, and I didn't get it. Then the second group goes in, pull out names, and somebody from that group gets it. Wow. And so there was there was a petition that kind of went around. Like I was I was trying to figure it out. And again, Liv, this is this is me living in a system that had treated me very well for the most part. I had been very successful in. I had been a black man that I had one of the principals come to me and go, you know what? I, I, if I, if my daughter was your age, I would have no problem ha having her date you. Right. Like these are, this is the kind of black man that I had become. And yet in the, yeah. in the end of it, as I was leaving, they showed me that I was the kind of black man they didn't want. Right. And, and that's a black when, man. They wanted, I, to, yeah, make sure a, they wanted to make sure you, wow. I, I knew that. Right. So, 
Wow. Uh, and that kind of vaulted me in when I went to school. Like, I just wanted to get away from, I didn't want to be around. I didn't want to go to A&M or UT because that's where everybody was going. I wanted to get away. And sure. So, so I chose the overpriced private school up in Fort Worth, right? Uh, <laughs> you really stuck it to them, Marcus. You really showed them. <laughs> I showed them, showed those guys. Uh, but when I got there, you know, I, I kind of dug into all like blackness, like black fraternity, black friendships, everything. Uh, but then God realized that he kind of was like, I can't have you there, man. I need you to make the bridge. And so being in the creative space, you were always around people who were different, you know, lots of nationalities right. and races. And so sure. you just, and that's what I loved, right? I wasn't born to just be in a particular space. So I, I was, I didn't want to marry a white girl because that was a whole nother thing, but I did. <laughs> and now I have two biracial kids. And like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I tell people all the time, they're the people that keep me in the fight because there's many days that I, I want to come home and I just want to retreat into blackness. I just want to run into it and never see white people again. But I sure. come home and there's one waiting for me. <laughs> there's like, a hot there. one waiting for you. Yeah, yeah. And I <laughs> love her it. and I love her and God I know has you do. created right. you know, that. And so sure. I know that that's, that's what pushes me in. Uh, and so all those experiences have really played uh, a part to, to position me, I think, to have the conversation well because the people who I'm most battling tend to be white. Uh, and they are people who sure. I love, who I have lots of relationships that I love dearly, who have treated me well, and who have stood up for me in many times. Uh, and so it, it, it's, it, it's hard to separate and go, I don't, I can't talk to these people because they're white, because I have deep relationships with them, which is what I tell people, right? You can't hate what you love. And so if you, Ooh, if you have, you can't hate what you love. Yeah. If you have, if we had more I like, so you and I were sitting here right now and we're laughing and we're having a good time. And I told you, you know, before, sure. like I'm, 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 I'm having like uh, my, a good friend of mine from who we grew up with, Lance Dillard, who we're going to go vacation with here pretty soon. Uh, I have a kinship with several people of different cultures and races, right? I was just on a call uh, yesterday with some friends of mine, Latino, Asian, Indian, right? Like we just laugh, you know, my roommate in college was Indian. He was my, still one of my dearest friends. I got some kinship with people who don't look like me. And I use that word kinship in that they are family. Uh, oh, I love so, that. Um, you know, God calls us to be one, right? And to the church to actually represent this otherness, this 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 um, return to the original way in which humanity uh, related to one another, which is in a perfect relationship with one another. And it's not the human itself that respond, that helps people see the image of God, but it's humans in perfect relationship with other that models mm -hmm. and mirrors the truth of who God is, because God as a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit is a perfect representation of relationship. And so when Adam and Eve uh, were, were created, it wasn't good until they were both there and they lived in perfect relationship. And so sin came in and destroyed all of that. And so now you see all the stuff you see on the news where people's relationships are broken. Individuals create groups and groups are in, in relationships that don't work and groups create political parties that aren't in a relationship. And you get all this disrelationship and this, this, this unfamiliness, if you will. And God then created a new family. In, in, in creating Christians that come under the banner of Christ that create a new family that's a kinship that is supposed to remind people of the original relationship God created when he created Adam and Eve. We are supposed to live into that. And if we do, we will see, as Revelation shows us, we will see a kinship and a family that will be made up all tribes and tongues and ethnic groups, which is what Revelation 7, 9, and 10 tells us. And so all that to say is I, I seek to have kinship with people who are different than me, because when I have a kinship and a family with them, then the things that happen to them are happening to me, right? 
your people right. become That's my exactly people. Right. right. And I care about it because I That's right. see their face in the people who are being uh, oppressed. So when, when people, the people who called me uh, in the last week, they didn't see George, uh, George Floyd's face. They saw Marcus Lloyd's face. And they were like, That's oh exactly my gosh, right. that, that could yes. be Marcus Lloyd. That could be Marcus, I, yes. And, and, I'm, and now I'm what mad do I about do? this. How do I what help? What do I do? Right. How do I help, right? right. And, and it's only because we had that kinship, right? And it's beyond just like we're friends and we live on the same street. I had, you know, I had a, a Facebook encounter with somebody on my street uh, the other day who said, racism isn't a thing until you make it a thing. And I'm like, I've been, I've been <gasps> in your I've e- eaten in uh, your home before. Like I've, I've oh played with your gosh. kids. I've babysat your kids. And this which, so you can have a black yeah. friend and not understand, right? <laughs> like yep. you, can, you can do it and because you don't have a kinship. You don't actually see them as part of your tribe, if you will. So I don't know where this this preaching that I just gave you started from. <laughs> but I, I'm not, it listen. Was a, it was a preaching. I love it. The Holy Spirit. I lo- <laughs> No, it needs to be said because here's the thing. It's happening right now, right? And it, like I said, this is not new. This, this isn't brand new. Racism didn't just show up. And guess what? Sadly, this is not going to be the last conversation about it yeah. or the last horrific thing that happens, not just in this country. This isn't just an American problem. Mm-hmm. This is a world problem. Right. And so I think it's, I think it's really important. I think that's, part of why we have emotions and passion because we need it to fuel to say the brave things and to do the brave things and and I think that it's fantastic that you're saying them because I'm hoping people are listening and I'm yeah. and I'm also hoping that there's no one on any side of this coin that's like well I'm done learning like I know all the things yeah we don't right. I don't think you know all the things as a black man and I know I don't know all the things as a white woman yeah and I no. never will it's just not going to happen. So I think it's a continuous dialogue, just like the relationship with Christ has to be continuous. I am never going to know him fully until I get to heaven. So I think this is great. I appreciate the preaching. Well, and, and I'm and look, and I'm I, you're right. I'm continually learning and continuing to ask God to show me, you know, what to see. And it's interesting. I was actually even this morning as I was kind of thinking and praying about, uh, again, I don't know when people are listening to this, but um, the, the hot news this morning is um, um, 45, our, our, our president has tweeted that uh, about the looters um, oh, I know. in Minneapolis. And he was saying, you know, he was quoting, he was quoting a, a, a an old uh, Miami, this notorious um, supporting sort of, you know, police brutality and stop and frisk and all these things. He was quoting this guy when he said, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And so basically it was a threat to the looters that if you don't stop, we're going to come in every guns and I guess shoot you. Right. And this was something that Twitter, that Twitter, <laughs> Twitter stopped. Uh, and it was becoming <laughs> yeah. a thing. Right. But um, sure. it, it really was interesting to me because I started just um, thinking through all the events of the past couple of weeks. And, um, and I've said many times to people, you know, when people have used the phrase, uh, make America great again. I've told people that that brings a lot of discomfort and discon- it, it, it's a very disconcerting phrase for African. You hear that differently. I hear it very differently, and and people wouldn't understand. Like that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying. We're not trying to go back to the past and, and and do what happened in the past. We're not saying that. And yet we can think of the images that have happened over the last couple of weeks. We can see, you know, we can see that we have, uh, you know, uh, an African American male, uh, a, a black man who is shot in the street by an unarmed black male shot in the street by three white men for you know uh, exploring a construction site we have uh, a black woman uh, brianna taylor uh, who shot in her home because police barged in thinking it was a different home uh, we have this black man that we've been talking about george floyd who is basically choked out 
uh, and killed by police in front of a protesting crowd. Um, we have um, Christian Cooper, who uh, is in Central Park birding, and we have a, a woman, Amy Cooper, who is, uses his blackness to, to threaten to bring police uh, violent response upon him. Um, we have black people rioting in the streets. We have tear gas. We have looting. We have burning cities. And we have a president who's saying if the looting continues, the shooting will start, right? These are all images from the, our America's past, right? And so... Yeah. Yeah. The, the issue and the thing that I was really looking at that phrase, make America great again, I think that phrase could actually work in this way is what was great about America back then is when these things started happening is that there were Americans who stood up and they used their privilege to stand between those who were oppressed and those who were oppressed. They locked arms mm. with them. They looked at their locked arms with their brothers and sisters. They said, I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And I'm going to do something about this. And so my plea is that um, that these great Americans would would show up again, uh, and that they would do these great things, and that we would truly see uh, us making America great again in that way. Uh, and, and that's what we that. do right now. I think that's a really incredible point. And here, I, I couldn't help but think, bring, I want to bring you back to where this conversation started, back to LA. Sure. And when you were how I, I didn't I, I think I forgot to ask or I didn't get it from you. How old were oh, you? Oh, sorry, when you, moved you away? asked. I just didn't answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was trying to be polite. <laughs> yeah, I was. Thanks uh, again, Marcus. <laughs> I was. Uh, I think when we Call made that up. decision, I was like twenty-five years old. All right, so you're twenty-five, right? You're in your early twenties, and you make this decision to leave LA. If I had said to you, Marcus, true success for you, my friend, mm. is going to be being a pastor in Dallas. And you're going to be focusing on healing race relations or like a lot of our other friends who have gone on to become really famous actors, like, mm -hmm. like y'all like legit famous. Okay. Like not yeah, kind yeah. of like, Oh, they were in like, you know, third guy to the left. They're not, they're not like my famous. They're like legit famous. <laughs> right. Yeah. Listen, they're you're not, famous like, in my book. People, people are like, Oh, I can, I can find you on IMDb. You're famous. I was like, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's not quite what that means. But Listen, own you. it. You have IMDb. You know, I would have my face on a card with my IMDb on it handing it out to everyone if I had done that. So I, you're famous. But yeah, but our friends who have really made it, more than one of our friends who have made it very big. And if I said, but your success is going to be here, what would you have thought at 25 with that word success between where you were in LA and where you are right now with the knowledge that you have as the man that you are today? Yeah, look, uh, truth be told, I ponder that, that term daily. Um, because of the ways in which you just articulated. I think when I was 25, if you had told me that, um, it's funny, I, I probably should listen to my 25-year-old <laughs> self, right? I think, I think in that moment, I would have gone, that's, that's kind of why I'm leaving LA, is that I want to do, do more. I want to be more than this. I want to be more than, I, I want what I'm doing to last more than just my next picture or my next TV show, right? Because that's the thing you feel, you realize when you're in LA, you're only as good as your last project. That's right. Fact, and then you're a nothing again. Yeah, and exactly. And, and look, I remember my first one of my, probably my second audition in LA, I'm there. And again, you're looking for all these black guys. And I'm sitting next to Bud from the Cosby show, right? No, yeah. Bud? <laughs> and, and I'm just like, wait, I just got Keep here. This dude, this dude, well, but this dude was on the oh. most popular show that America ever had. 
and and I've been in LA a week and a half, and we're at the same. Y'all are now equal, right? Like wow. so, right? So, so that's when that's also one of the things. So I think and this is funny. I'm glad you're saying it because it actually is helping me even in my my you know 40 plus year old self. I think when I left LA, it was because I wanted to be more. I wanted to do more. Um, but as you go and you start to do the things that you think you're doing, it, it never works. Or at least for me, it wasn't. It wasn't painting out the way that I wanted it to. I still had this desire to want to use these creative gifts. I still wanted to be famous. I still wanted to. And part of it is because, you know, one of the guys we're talking about is a good friend of mine. I'm watching him like, wait, what? Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, he's killing it right now. He's killing like, it. He, wait, wasn't he, he is killing it. Wasn't he my sidekick in high school? Like, wasn't he? Like, how is this happening? So I validate that. He was your sidekick. I validate that. Well, he, he laughs about that, right? Because it was he knows it true, right? And yeah, I love but it. what's so fun is is again I, I get to watch that and I get to experience that and see it. And you know, he would tell you like there's things about what he's experiencing that he, you know, doesn't love to have to do. He doesn't love being away from his sure. kids for a long time, right? Yeah. And he doesn't love that he's he is only you know, rated on his last performance. That's stressful, right? Um, and yet I still see what he's doing as a success because he's doing what, what he feels he needs to do. Um, for me, God is asking me to do something else. And, and so for me, the success is, am I living into what God has prepared me for and what he's asked me to do and what he's given me the gifts to do? And again, that doesn't look the same for everybody. Um, and, and, and if God had asked me to do what, what, what uh, the actors are doing, then I would have been successful there too, I think. Um, sure. It's oh, when, yeah. it's when, no doubt. It's when I turn away from the thing that I think God has, has put me uh, here to do, to go do something that I want to do is where I think I, I, I would not be successful. So, I, so for me, I struggle with desiring to go away from success, to go towards the stereotype of success, um, because uh, this actually gets more credibility uh, in society. And that success is more lucrative and all those other things that we idolize, uh, which is, you know, sinful and covet. Uh, and so really it's, it's, it's constantly having to be reminded by friends and family and even time of the word of what God really sees as success. And, and the only reason I'm still here, uh, Olivia and live, sorry, I just went back. No, to you can say Olivia. <laughs> say it. It's fine. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> God, I miss you. <laughs> I need you in my life to humble me, Marcus. There you go. Right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what I was saying. Uh, think about it. Uh, but I think the about I think the, yeah, the, success. the only reason I'm still here, I think, is uh, I say it all the time is as a person who believes in, in Christ and follows Christ. If it was all about getting to know God better, it was all about getting to know my brothers and sisters in Christ better by being in the same room with them. I could do that in heaven, right? Like God could have just zapped me up and I would have been there. Um, sure. The reason I'm here, and the only reason I'm still here is to do the thing that I won't be able to do there, and that's to, to point people towards Christ. So, oh, that's interesting. It, you know, what? what the one thing what, you can't do there. The one thing wow. I can't do in heaven is point people towards Christ. Yeah. So how is everything in my life working towards that mission and vision? And then, you know, what my, my mentor would say, thinking about mission, where does the, the world's greatest need and your uh, greatest passion sort of align. And, and then with me, I would add on to that. And what has God gifted you with in that? Right. And so I, I feel like God has put me in a place that makes a lot of sense. Although many days it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that's you know, fair. I, I trust it and, and I have to keep leaning into it. And I need people who remind me of that because uh, I, 
I do want to walk away lots of times. Uh, and you know, I'm sure la- you do. Last couple of days have been those, uh, but I have great, great again tribe and kinship with people who who get behind me and uh, and keep pushing me and keep challenging me. Uh, but yeah, and 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 I I I have to be reminded that that doing the will of God uh, and living into what God has asked me to do is the true uh, definition of success um, for me. And, uh, That's right. and so right now, yeah. so right now I, 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 you're living your truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and you know, just as a little point, what is interesting though, Marcus, is that what you're doing on this planet today, it will stay and you can continue to point people towards Christ, even when you're not here, because those of us, I'm assuming you're going to die before me. Do you like how this scenario is going? <laughs> For lots of different ways, I will probably die before you. Yes, I can name at least three reasons why that will happen. Oh, Marcus. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah and COVID is out there right now this is a really difficult time (laughs) jeez if any of us make it out of the hunger games right now it'll be amazing because i'm pretty sure that's what we're doing but uh but we but you will be remembered for all the things that you did do and i think that's worth i think that's a legacy more than uh than an your filmography on your imdb you know just having one more thing and i think that that's great i really do Okay, let me ask you to to wrap up, Marcus. And this conversation has been so fantastic and God is so amazingly wonderful. Let me ask you, when you were in LA, to bring you back one more time, you're 25, I am guessing that this thought of leaving LA wasn't like you woke up and you're like, Lisa, guess what? Let's leave. I'm pretty sure that was something that was pulling at you, tugging at you, aching in your heart for a while, because that's a pretty big decision, especially coming from where we did, the talent that was at our school, the talent that was rising at the time that you were out in LA. So to make that choice, what had a quiet down in your life for you to hear God's voice? What had to chill out and quiet for you to actually hear it and step into it. You know, we, we had gotten um, really connected to a, a church there in, in LA. And I think if I was to put it, I think we had to kind of, at first in LA, we got there and we were, we were hanging out with, you know, friends that we knew who were actors and all those kinds of things. I think if there's something that had to quiet in us, I think we had to kind of build some relationships with people who love Jesus um, and people who, again, weren't in the industry. Um, that could kind of help us to see, like to live almost like a real life <laughs> in the city. Um, and so that quieted our, you know, we, we realized, oh, you can, you can be a married couple. You can live a life that is great and it doesn't have to be all surrounded by the industry and who's your friends and how famous are you and all that. Cause you can live that way. And there was such a calm and like peacefulness when we would hang out with friends who Again, we're in the industry, and we go, gosh, this is this is really nice. And we would hear about the ways in which they're wanting to raise their kids, and the things that they were thinking about their marriage, and how they were working on it. And, and yeah, I think it just opened up our minds to the thought of life doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be the the as you know, as they say out there, it doesn't have to be a la la land, you know, life. And uh, so that's probably what it was: was just building relationships with people who, in some ways. <laughs> We're, uh, it feels weird to say this, but we're living in a diverse experience of the city we were living in uh, and who had a a deep faith in Christ. And so 
Uh, that's that's probably what they're, and and even part of a again a community that continued to reaffirm that. Um, yeah, I think that's probably what it was. That's an interesting question. <laughs> no, I love it. So I yeah, I hear you. I hear that really what had to quiet down in your life were the voices telling you the opposite. Of right, like where th- you this is success. This is the only right. way it looks like this way. Are you are you not anything? Right. And the yeah, industry to, voices to kind of, had to quiet down in order for you yeah. to hear the godly voices, maybe. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Use that. That's what I said. <laughs> that's what I said. I like it. You're so profound. Write it down. That's what you... I'm tweeting it right now. I'm tweeting it and it's mine. Take it. it. It's yours. I probably owe you something. I feel like I probably took enough from you in high school. So there you go. Now we're... I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. This has been so fantastic. Also, the longest so podcast fun. ever. It's supposed to be a 30-minute show. So uh, <laughs> what was I thinking, Marcus? When have you and I ever done anything together for 30 minutes? I was thinking. I was like, I don't know what she's talking about. Uh, like, that was a big mistake on my part. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. This conversation was awesome. Friend, I can't thank you enough for reconnecting with me and for the work that you're doing. You're inspiring me, and I know you're inspiring so many others, so don't stop. And I am definitely here in whatever capacity I can do. I will be there. I love you tremendously. I might love your wife more, but... It's yeah. fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing outside the bedroom window here pretty soon again. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> I need to think. I know where to find you. <laughs> oh, you're great. Thank you so much. Give hugs and kisses to everybody. And, um, Thank you. And if I ever get love to do this again with you, please come back. I love you big. Oh, of course. You know I love you. <laughs> oh, you know anything, what? Anything for living. Uh, thanks, Marcus. Wait, real quick. Where can people find you, actually? Where oh, other, I'm just point. assuming everybody knows you. <laughs> Everybody's stalking the Lloyds. Yeah. I mean, duh. Yeah. Where can they find That's you? That's right. Yeah, obviously, you know, you can check out, you know, social media. You got me on Instagram and, and uh, Twitter as the Marcus Lloyd. And then I'm um, uh, actually I'm the uh, Marcus Lloyd. Uh, and I'm the Liv Harrison. Not too long. Oh, look at that. <laughs> look at you. It's a Klein thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. The yes. Marcus Lloyd with a K. Marcus with a K. With a K. That's right. Uh, on Facebook as well. And then just Marcus Lloyd on Facebook. Okay. Uh, our, our organization threaded is wearethreaded.org. You can check that out. And I've got a podcast as well that's called Colored Commentary. Uh, that is coloredcommentary.org. You can find those episodes as well. So, yeah. Lots is. of good stuff. All right, friend. All right. I love you so much. Thank you so much, Marcus. We'll talk soon. Bye. We'll Bye. Well, thank you so much for listening to Talk to Me with Liv Harrison. The stories behind their success. I am so excited that this podcast has launched and I need your help. I need you to take a moment to subscribe. I need you to please share it on your social media platforms and with your friends and your colleagues and your kids, or maybe not your kids. And I need you to leave me a review and a rating, especially on Apple. As I build my audience these first few weeks, I really need your help. So if you enjoyed it, come back. Do that by subscribing, by sharing, by passing the word around. And until then, I'll be listening for you. Okay, fine. You'll be waiting to hear from me. (laughs) Bye, you guys. See you next time.